From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is World Stage, exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, I want to describe a brand new book that I just learned about. It's not even out yet, but we can pre-order. It's called The Pfizer Papers, Pfizer's Crimes Against Humanity from by Skyhorse Publishing by the War Room slash Daily Clout, Pfizer Documents Analysts, Naomi Wolf, Amy Kelly, Stephen K. Bannon. I just want to read a little bit about it because I'm following their work. It's priceless. The Pfizer Papers, new book coming out um, April 9th. The Pfizer Papers features new reports written by War Room slash Daily Clout Research Volunteers, which are based on the primary source Pfizer clinical trial documents released under court order and on related medical literature. The book shows in high relief that Pfizer's mRNA COVID-19 vaccine clinical trial was deeply flawed and that the pharmaceutical company knew by November 2020 that its vaccine was neither safe nor effective. If this work is new to anybody, write this down. After the show, go to dailyclout.io and dig in to the massive resources and work that that team is doing to bring us imperative truths about the shots that the whole world needs to know with me this hour is dr merrill nass a physician and researcher who revealed the dangers of the anthrax vaccine and proved that the world's largest anthrax epidemic was due to biological warfare she has been disentangling COVID disinformation since 2020 her license was suspended for prescribing COVID medications and, quote, misinformation, end quote. Her doortofreedom.org was, quote, created to help us get back our rights and freedoms by collecting the information you need about the changes in our world, brackets, and so you can see what our governments and international organizations are planning. Dr. Ness can be followed at merylnass.substack.com in addition to the work at doortofreedom.org. Thank you very much for joining me today, Meryl. How are you? Hey, I'm excellent. Thank you for inviting me. Looking forward to this. Likewise, tremendously. I consider you a living history of the impact of COVID-19, Meryl. And there's, you know, maybe a dozen or more uh, top folks, you are among them, who are bringing working indefatigably, a word I love to say. My first question for you is, if you wouldn't mind recapping your your story, what happened to you at the beginning of COVID through the last three or four years up until now, just so everyone can get up to speed um, about that journey, that story? Yeah, thanks. So as you said, I've worked on biological warfare and pandemics for 35 years. 
and and in addition to practicing internal medicine, and I never had a, a board uh, action against me. Had had one complaint from a patient's son once in my entire forty plus year career, and um, the son actually apologized to me afterwards when he realized I had been the only doctor treating his mom correctly. So I, I have a very clean record. I'd given six con- testimonies to Congress. I've testified to about eight state legislatures. Um, published a bunch of papers, given talks around the world. I thought that, you know, I was untouchable. But um, so at the beginning of COVID, I started writing about what people could do to protect themselves. In the first couple of months, I agreed with the government, yes, let's lock down for a couple of weeks and get this thing under control, you know, wash all your vegetables in in bleach, et cetera. And I went along with that, but I know what needs to be done. And after a few weeks had gone by, I knew that the government was doing the wrong things and uh, giving us bad information, not telling us uh, what we needed to know, not getting the right tests out to people. And so I started writing about that. And I'm also an expert in vaccines. I wrote the first review article on anthrax vaccine. I've testified to Congress on anthrax vaccine. I know a lot about vaccines. And so when they started talking about making the COVID vaccine, um, there were certain aspects of that that I knew were problematic, particularly the um, liability shield. So when a vaccine manufacturer gets a liability shield from the government, then that means they're not responsible for the quality of their product anymore. They can't be sued. They will not have to pay any money to anyone if the product is harmful or if it doesn't work. And so that's a problem. So giving a liability shield should be something that's only done very, very rarely under very special circumstances. And yet it was because of it was the United States didn't even have a way to give a liability shield to an unlicensed product until 2005, um, when under the guise of pandemic preparedness and we, you know, you never know what to expect. Uh, something called the Prep Act was passed by Congress, which allowed the um, Secretary of Health and Human Services to make a declaration, or or the Secretary of Defense to make declarations that there was a national security threat and therefore products could be used without being licensed. And then the FDA commissioner who's supposed to know about the drugs and vaccines could make their own declaration that a particular product could be waived, could get a liability shield and be used um, in a very special national security emergency. Um, So what happened with COVID is all sorts of products were given this waiver through the PrEP Act. So that would include early on remdesivir, Paxlovid, Molnupiravir, many drugs, and all the COVID vaccines, uh, monoclonal antibodies too. And that's a problem. Unfortunately, that bill um, doesn't require that the product be tested in even one mouse. It just, uh, it puts all the um uh, it gives deference to the fda commissioner and the head of hhs to make a decision supposedly an informed decision and the head of fda is generally a, a physician although in this case the head of hhs was a, a lawyer and i believe he's a lawyer now alex azar um so 
the United States population relied on these two people to make decisions about the health of the whole country. And if that wasn't bad enough, by um, August, September of 2021, the president then started mandating these vaccines for large 100 million Americans. Um, it's a great business model if you if you own Pfizer or Moderna or their stock, but not good for the American public. Were you, um, by that point, were you were you raising you were writing and raising the alarm about a number of aspects about these things by that point, by mid 2021, right? Yes, absolutely. I uh, so I I've always I've had a blog since 1998. It started out in anthrax vaccine. It's called anthrax vaccine dot blogspot dot com. Uh, but uh, I also have a, the Substack blog. And so when I think I know something that other people need to know, I write about it in the blog. And I assume if it's important, it will get out there to the public. And I don't really, or so in the past, I never really tried to push things out. You know, I never had a publicist or anything. Um, but I would put it in the blog and assume whoever needed to know it would get that information. And over time, I started working with Children's Health Defense, which would often then publicize articles I wrote and, and get the information to a wider audience. So, so yes, I've written about the tests, the drugs, the vaccines, um, how to, um, you know, create a... Uh, about the masks, you know, how to make a mask that might work, how to wear a mask in such a way that it might work, um, how, how to use substances like plastic sheeting to try to create a space that would, that, that viruses, you know, would not be entering, et cetera. So mm. I've looked at this from quite a number of angles um, and uh, try, tried to inform the public, but what really seems to have gotten the ire of the medical board was my talk about the vaccines, because I pointed out how little we knew. And when we found they were dangerous, I pointed that out. When we found they didn't work well, I pointed that out. And when we found they actually, over a period of about six or eight months after you first get them, they actually increase your risk of getting COVID, I pointed that out. And I cite the relevant studies you know, my work is very um, reliable, <laughs> so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe they didn't and like that either. Well, and also just for the great history you're uh, recapping for us, the vaccines, hmm, the injections rolled out December 2020 and January uh, 2021. So it's mid to late 2021. All these things were already known. You're posting about them, and then their uh, ire against you got even more heightened with what you started prescribing, And right? Yeah, well, I had been prescribing, you know, hydroxychloroquine since the beginning of the pandemic, and then by the end of 2020, early 2021, I started prescribing ivermectin as well. Um, that was another thing I wrote about that I'm sure uh, raised a lot of hackles, because I collected 58 different ways around the world that hydroxychloroquine was being suppressed by governments, by companies, by 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 pharmaceutical companies, by um, state governments as well as federal, by uh, drugstore companies, by media. You know, the, 
the suppression of hydroxychloroquine was extraordinary and unprecedented, and of course was was basically a crime against humanity during a pandemic in which people were dying who are not getting treated. So I because I st- because I, of its because of its efficacy against right, something like it works yeah especially when taken early on and it doesn't work really when you give it late. Um, so you have to start early and and there were a lot of trials that deliberately gave it late to make it look as if it didn't work. So I wrote about all of that starting in May of 2020 and then expanded what I was writing through 2021 about hydroxychloroquine and then later ivermectin. So um, anyway, my my medical board wound up with two complaints from strangers, people who had never met me and claimed they didn't know any of my patients and saw something that I'd put on the internet or that had made it to the internet, you know, an interview or something, and complained to the board that I was spreading misinformation. And the board asked me to respond. And I said, okay, tell me what the misinformation was. And I asked them about four times, what did I say that was misinformation? And they would never answer. So I realized I sort of had them over a barrel because because everything not only that everything i had said was correct but also we have a first amendment which says i'm allowed to say whatever i want and they didn't really have jurisdiction because i was saying this in my personal capacity not while i'm seeing patients mm-hmm. um you know i was just in an interview so they're not so they really aren't allowed to interfere with my private life and i asked them uh, what was their jurisdiction over my private life please point out what statute gives you jurisdiction over my private life they didn't yeah. like that either um you know unfortunately for them unfortunately i had because i'd been involved with the anthrax vaccine mandate fight for years i'd gotten embroiled in a lot of legis- you know uh, legal efforts we actually brought a legal case and got the license revoked uh, for a while, and then FDA gave the company the license back for the anthrax vaccine. So, so I sort of had an idea what was legal and what wasn't. And they, they weren't. Ex- most doctors don't, and I wouldn't have if I hadn't been involved with that. So, so they didn't like me. They couldn't believe that a doctor was challenging them and asking them to come up with a statute. So they they wouldn't answer that either. But these were the um, authorities. Then, this is the authorities in your home state of Maine, correct? Yes, correct. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, they went desperately looking for patients. They needed. They wanted to find a complaint that I had mismanaged someone's medical care. So they asked the these strangers uh, if they could come up with a, with some patient names for them, and they were also challenged because I was not using an electronic medical record because I knew the electronic medical records um, give governments and maybe other people who pay access to patients' private, you know, medical records, which are supposed to be um, private, but aren't when they're online. So I gave my patients this ability to keep their medical information confidential. And so the board wasn't able to go through the medical record systems and find out who my patients were. So then they made some other sweep and managed to uh, come up with two medical practitioners who had treated patients of mine um, to to get them to complain. So one so one of my patients who I treated with ivermectin had wound up in the hospital, and 
So they simply got the doctor to say that I had treated the patient with horse paste, you know, and uh, if they see something, they should say something. So how dare I treat a patient with horse paste? And Dr. Nass, other- allow me, allow me to reintroduce you, Dr. Merrill Nass, one of our heroes in this fight for the truth about all things COVID and the shots and the future. And we're going to get into all that on the other side of this important information from today's news talk, TNT. TNT's Pervoy Morich. He details factually how Russia is rolling out the algorithm ghetto, um, you know, the, the, the multipolar edition of the algorithm ghetto, a prototype of a traffic light that records traffic violations by a pedestrian at a crossing was tested in Moscow. So Russians now, they'll, they'll have a, the government will take a snapshot of their face and then run that through the databases to figure out who is who and then find them, uh, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, he, he points out that there are a lot of developments now. Moscow 2030, it's, it's uh, they want to make uh, Moscow achieve smart city status. Uh, and there's just, you know, you, you look at the white papers, Moscow and Russia are all in on Agenda 2030, smart cities, algorithm ghetto, digital IDs. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not far-right, just right so far thelightpaper.co.uk At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. This is World Stage with me is Dr. Merrill Nass, and you're recounting the uh, really unbelievable crushing of your rights for free speech, of free speech, and also to practice medicine as you expertly had known it and been doing it for decades. And at the point of, allow me to invite you to finish the point or the thought that you were pursuing before we took the break, Merrill, or is it time to further explore what we can talk about? Well, um, I'll just say, so another practitioner um, complained that I had given hydroxychloroquine to a pregnant patient with, without asking her, without asking the other, the midwife. And uh, of course, people ask, how, since when do doctors have to ask midwives how to treat a patient? This midwife wanted to give the patient monoclonal antibodies. Um, I pointed out that actually hydroxychloroquine is approved in pregnancy, whereas monoclonal antibodies are not. So the midwife didn't know what she was talking about. But anyway, that was the other complaint. Um, so. They got records they of three patients, and all three patients said uh, they thought I'd done a very good job. They were very happy with my care. Um, and the board picked through them and tried to find things they could uh, charge me with. So they dropped all. They knew that you know we have a First Amendment. They didn't want to litigate against the First Amendment, 
um, they knew they were trying to scare me. They didn't realize I knew the law uh, and tell me that it was, uh, you know, unlawful to prescribe hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin off label. Well, I knew it wasn't. So they dropped all those charges. They were just heavying me. And um, they ex they assumed since I was 70 years old that I would uh, go away quietly because it would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight them, to actually hold a hearing. So they begged me to just give up my license. And I said no, because at that point, Children's Health Defense had offered to pay for my defense for most of it. And so thankfully, because they felt it was a good case, we have to fight, you know, Mm -hmm. The doctors, there are many doctors trying to prescribe drugs for patients during the pandemic, and their boards have threatened hundreds or thousands of them. And so it's really important to have some trial cases and and show that, that what the boards have done is illegal, and we have to push back. So mine was a good case because I really hadn't done anything wrong. And we fought it, and uh, the board said, oh, I didn't follow the uh, telemedicine rules, which, by the way, had been dropped by the governor, but that didn't stop them. And they said, oh, I was uh, breaking confidentiality by talking to patients' relatives who lived in the same home and were caring for the patients about their care. And so mm -hmm. they found me guilty of these kind of dummy things. They completely dropped the ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and anything I said about the vaccines. They didn't want to get into that. They didn't want to give me another platform to point out what was true about them. And uh, and they unanimously found me guilty of these things and threw the book at me. You know, they, they'd already suspended my license for two years. And they said, well, it's going to be suspended at least until your next renewal, which is about 16 more months, and then um, you're going to have to take three courses. You're going to have to pay for a practice monitor. Uh, you're going to have to send us charts every so often so we can review wow. them. And and uh, uh, one is of there, the is there is there any way for you to appeal to get a decision sooner than this time they're giving you? So if I if I jump through all their hoops and they liked me and I. Um, basically apologized for my behavior to them publicly, then they might give me my license back sooner. Um, so, no, I was not going to apologize to them because I was right. They were wrong. And I had told mm -hmm. them that this was a crime mm -hmm. against humanity. And I didn't tell them they personally participated in it, but every one of them knew they had. And um, and so this was a, a very sort of existential issue. You know, are doctors going to work for the patients or are they going to work for a system? You know, and these are salary doctors that work for a system. So, uh, you know, that 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 sets that that gets us up to speed with what you personally uh, endured as a doctor. What and you just you just said the magic words. This is a crime against humanity, and I and I love pulling into these kinds of conversations. Something that could be evergreen for people who aren't aware of that, people who aren't convinced of that, people who think that this is all conspiracy theory nonsense. All the people who still believe the mainstream institutions and the media, and frankly, all the people who work at government agencies and in healthcare, who are just going along like good soldiers just following orders what you know if you if you could talk for as long as it takes to paint 
and detail the enormity of the horrors in being inflicted uh, on the world and and do with that huge question anything you want okay well first of all informed consent was thrown away informed consent is a pillar it has certainly been a pillar of medicine and and ethical behavior since at least world war ii when it was put in a formalized fashion and but in particular when you're giving somebody an experimental product which the vaccines were we have the nuremberg code which while it isn't an official part of u.s law it's been cited in many legal cases and it is it is considered basically acceptable legal doctrine and so because the covid vaccines certainly during the first eight months that they got rolled out and many many of them later after that were experimental products they basically couldn't be mandated people had to be given informed consent according to the nuremberg code as well as according to certain u.s legal um laws and the prep act in fact says that people should be told must be told the significant harms and benefits of the product and and gives them a right to refuse so so basically our own law as well as the nuremberg code was thrown to the winds i mean that's a different kind of crime but our federal government and state governments ignored their own laws they behaved unlawfully and there have been no consequences um and they haven't been taken to task they haven't had to face any music about this so far it's very very serious um it set mm-hmm. a precedent that that your government can force you to be injected with an experimental product uh, if you want to maintain your job if you want to go to school etc and college kids in in 80 universities are still being subjected to this well it turned out after a few months that these vaccines could cause deadly side effects and as you've seen a lot of athletes are keeling over all the time because the vaccines cause myocarditis at a very high rate and when you exercise and have um, a high level of adrenaline in your bloodstream that also on top of the myocarditis can trigger trigger deadly arrhythmias so that is probably what's killing most people the vaccines can also cause blood clots and cause a, a wide range of problems because they they the spike protein can go it travels through the bloodstream damages the inside of the blood vessels so whatever organ those blood vessels are in can be damaged um so that's that's one problem now the the drugs that were pushed the remdesivir Paxlovid and malnupiravir also have considerable side effects. The malnupiravir may even cause COVID to mutate, um, which is not what you want to <laughs> encourage. That's a very stupid thing. At the government paid in the beginning, all of these experimental products the government paid for. So your tax dollars paid the hundreds of billions of dollars that were spent on these products and given to you and harmed you. Now, how many people who are harmed by the COVID vaccines have gotten paid off? Because in order to take away the liability from the manufacturer, the government had to provide a separate remedy. And they did. They called it the um, Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. There's been 11 people who have 
received some financial benefit from that program for their injuries from the COVID vaccines, 11 out of 12,000 who have applied. And guess how much money they've collected? All to, the, the 11 altogether have gotten a bit over $40,000. So they've averaged about $3,000 a piece, $3,500 a piece for their injuries, um, which could be myocarditis, which could mean they'll never work again. Um, that's that's the uh, replacement for for the ability to sue manufacturers. So this whole um, process of of creating a liability free medical product needs to be gone. So the PrEP Act needs to be revoked, and there must never be anything like it again. And then the fact that the the government even ignored what was in the PrEP Act and and mm. gave this to people without telling them the side effects um, and not giving them a chance to refuse that too, that that's not enshrined in law, but we have to make sure that that can never happen again. How, so how those, thoroughly, what, what, how much of this and how thoroughly is it shown, documented, et cetera, on your fantastic platform, door to freedom.org? You know, um, unfortunately, none of it is. Um, it's it's all in my Substack and in my anthrax vaccine blog. The reason okay. is that I uh, about eight, let me see, last June, so seven months ago, I formed an organization called Door to Freedom mm -hmm. um, to fight the Great Reset, the um, and the WHO's attempt to take over the management of healthcare uh, during uh, declared pandemics around mm -hmm. the world. So there's then, a, there's a then before then before we talk about that, which I definitely want to do at your Substack, MerrillNass.substack, and also in the review you wrote of Bobby Jr.'s latest Wuhan cover-up, that's where folks can really see this decades-long positioning of laws and partnerships and intertwining, and I'm going to say fascism, the merging of corporate and state power inside the pharmaceutical and healthcare worlds to create this gargantuan worldwide plot against humanity that is literally unbelievable for people who do not research this for themselves. I often quip, we're living in a very, very bad James Bond movie at this point. So, um, Yes. Just, you know, what's your what's your thought about that is the place to steer people who uh, want to and need to get up to speed and convinced about the things that they're hearing. People may, may they've never seen or heard you before. And now they're meeting you for the first time. And, you know, to the extent that we're just one person saying these things, I love to point out all the all those resources. Um, that's that's an accurate. I th is that what do you think of my uh, description of, of the resources? Um, wonderful. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Um, yes. And uh, yesterday I wrote a piece about uh, why Davos is so focused on disease X. Um, and I've also written about their concerns regarding misinformation and disinformation. And in a nutshell, let me just say before I expand out, um, what the what da the Davos clique, what the people who would like to have more control over our lives and have most of our money and property um, need are two things, in my view. The first is absolute control over information, and that's what they're getting by 
um, designating speech that goes against their their narrative as misinformation and disinformation. And, you know, that's why they went after me. The same deal. The, the federal government has also done this. Um, the Department of Homeland Security issued a, a, a warning in early 2021 saying, that people like me were terrorists. You know, if, if you were spreading misinformation and disinformation about the pandemic, you could be considered a terrorist. And once you get designated a terrorist, your rights can go away based on this, you know, new global war on terror that has been created. Um, so it's it's critical for them to control all the mainstream media and to shut up people like me, especially if we have a platform and just being a, a, a medical doctor gives us a platform. People tend to trust, or at least they did until the pandemic, trust medical doctors, uh, at least their own. But in general, we, we are known to be, you know, as in a hierarchy of uh, professions that are trusted, we used to be at the top. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing Davos, uh, the Davos clique needs is the is the an ability to frighten people that pandemics are here or coming and there are all these things you must do to protect yourself and those things will require you to obey a central authority which in in the proximate case is going to be the who so mm -hmm. the goal what a, a plan was concocted probably at a minimum two decades ago, before probably before the anthrax letters. Because the anthrax letters is what brought in a tremendous amount of spending by the federal government. You know, like $10 billion and up per year on pandemic and biological warfare preparedness. The anthrax um, letters to some senators and news broadcasters that seem to terrify them into approving USA Patriot Act and maybe the creation of the Department of Homeland Security and the expansion of this whole uh, pandemic or bio I, you know, right. research. And correct. That's that was that. Exactly. And uh, and the PrEP Act, too, came yeah. along with that. 2005. So, right. Um, yeah. And the BioShield Act 2004. So. Uh, that's why I say that that was at least the start of this. And during the Obama administration, uh, Obama's people expanded it out to the global biosecurity agenda and started paying off nations. We've paid off over 50 nations around the world to create a, a biosecurity system in their countries. And we're trying to link all this up. And so the idea is to get everybody worried that pandemics and possible biological warfare are number one threat that they happen all the time and that without these these globalists and their solutions we're in big trouble and it's a it's a tissue of lies so they don't happen all the time they're not severe we don't need them we know how to handle them at the local level asking you know tedros adenom gibriasis who doesn't even have a medical degree to manage uh, a, a flu pandemic in the united states is crazy he's never treated one patient why should he decide what medicines I get to have and which medicines he's not going to let me have. But that is what yes. these two documents. So the, the WHO and the United States started this, by the way, but they clearly have all the other sort of World Economic Forum, globalist type uh, 
Five Eyes countries going along. So if you look... Dr. Nash, allow me once again to reintroduce you, Dr. Merrill Nash, and repeat where folks can find and follow you, merrillnash.substack.com, your organization platform, daughterfreedom.org, and we're going to continue talking about what the world would-be rulers have in plan have have in store for us if more people do not learn what's coming and do all that we can to resist it and now here is important information from today's news talk tnt with his expert analysis and opinion this is tnt radio's timothy shea i can't overemphasize how important it is not to be excited about last week's epstein drops we haven't learned anything of much value from them in fact, all the valuable information, all the videotapes, the client list, etc., is still under lock and key at FBI headquarters, controlled by FBI Director Christopher Wray. This blackmail information gives Wray as much power as his crooked, corrupt predecessor, J. Edgar Hoover, who blackmailed every president under whom he served in half of D.C. to boot, if you're to believe the stories. And make no mistake, that's exactly what this is, blackmail material. That's why Jeffrey Epstein had security cameras in every nook and cranny of every house he owned. That's why he had hundreds, if not thousands of hours of video recordings of very prominent people with underage girls and allegedly boys. Whether it was CIA or FBI, MI5 or MI6, Mossad or several of these, doesn't matter. The fact is, Epstein was running an intelligence community honey trap. And the fact is that the real material will never see the light of day. If you doubt this, consider the coincidence of Epstein fixer Michael Sitnik having his servers stolen just the preceding weekend. There are no coincidences. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Bruce DeTorres Bruce on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Honored and thrilled to have Dr. Merrill Nass with me. While you're waiting for your medical license uh, to be reactivated, or however one would describe it in the state of Maine, you are inspiring millions, at least me, with your fight for the truth and to get it into the ears and the eyes of all who could. Along those lines, you mentioned the various groups you're speaking in front of, even Parliaments and legislative bodies. Talk to me, please, about those things. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think you said at the beginning, I'm the first person in the world to have investigated a, an epidemic and showed it was due to biological warfare. And I published that 31 years ago. So you can see I've been doing this a long time. Uh, what I've been doing lately is trying to alert um, people in different countries, including ours, of the dangers we're facing. And um, so that those dangers are encapsulated immediately. So the first thing we're facing is the WHO has created two documents along with the US and other nations. And these two documents are a pandemic treaty and massive amendments to something called the international health regulations that already exists, but they're trying to change what it is and does. And these two documents are gonna be voted on at the World Health Organization's annual meeting in May. Um, and each of them is to become a governing document. So 
although up until the present moment, the WHO has only been advisory, really. It, it you know, they can control a few things, like if there's an outbreak on a ship from between one country and another, they can quarantine a port or a vessel, that sort of thing. But that, but apart from that, they don't have any governing authorities. What they want to do is become the governor of public health throughout the world. And uh, that's a huge problem. I'll, I'll talk about it some more in a bit, but I'll just tell you, um, so you know that I uh, know what I'm talking about. I have briefed a number of members of Congress on this subject. Um, I and the Sovereignty Coalition put on a, um, a, a seminar for Congress in November, which you can watch on the Door to Freedom website. It's uh, go two or three hours. It included Michelle Bachman, former member of Congress. It was sponsored by Ron Johnson, Senator from uh, Minnesota. I think. No, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Ah. And um, uh, it's very, very good. That seminar was excellent. We had 10 wonderful speakers. Um, and I, in the last year, I've, I've spoken at the European Parliament, the Croatian Parliament, the Romanian Parliament. I've met with members of uh, the parliaments of, of Italy and uh, other countries. And I will be speaking in a couple of weeks at the Irish and UK parliaments and alerting them to the dangers. So, so why are there two documents uh, at the WHO of all places? Everyone thought the WHO is this nice organization that just wanted to help. Hmm. Um, the reason is that the, the way to a one world government as conceived of by, by the people who want that, you know, starting maybe with David Rockefeller back, you know, 50 or 70 years ago, um, was these international organizations that it could be done through them. Now, of, of all the UN agencies, only two of them have their own constitution, and that's the UN and the WHO, and that enables those organizations to make treaties with other nations or with other organizations. And so they have that level of independence. Now, the UN can make treaties, but it has a Security Council that can veto what it does. Any member of the Security Council can issue a veto, and that's the end of it. WHO has no Security Council, no veto power. And so it's in an enviable position where the Director General of the WHO um, cannot be sued. There, you can't take the WHO to court. Um, there's, there's no way you can change what they do. And um, they make decisions often without even holding votes. Or if they hold a vote, it could be a secret ballot, and then they take all the ballots into another room to count them. And so goodness knows what happens to those votes on the way to the other room. So, and it's and it's my impression that America has the the voice of the people here in America have never weighed in on the question of whether or not the United States should adhere to or follow what binds us to what the WHO decrees. Well, that's it. I mean, if you look at the WHO's constitution, it doesn't say it's a governing body. Um, so there should be nothing that binds us. But unfortunately, the Biden administration has come up with much that is in these documents. And so the Biden administration plans to bind us and initiated um, amendments to, to the WHO 
um, international health regulations two years ago that sped up the process. So the the idea is to basically take control of of the world's healthcare and expand the the concept of healthcare, the scope of healthcare, so it encompasses many other things in it that we wouldn't ordinarily think of as health. And that's been done by creating a an idea called One Health, which is about 20, mm-hmm. 25 years old. And it's been defined as um, the, the health of people is intricately entwined with the health of animals, plants, and ecosystems. And so together, all of those things, which by the way, if you think about them, ecosystems, plants, animals, and humans, everything in the planet, those things are all one health. Okay, and so One Health has now been um, placed within law in the United States into many federal agencies who are supposed to abide by the One Health um, approach, the One Health agenda. It's been put into the WHO. It has been infiltrated into countries around the world. And so uh, One Health, so health is becoming One Health, and that's that's one of the big sneaky tricks. And what's and what's cautionary about that, if I, if I understand, is the demand that agreeing countries or member countries of the World Health Organization do this, that, or the other thing when triggered by these findings or these decrees from above in the hierarchy. Is that a pretty good description of the way it works? So that is how it worked for the two, for declaring the two thousand nine pandemic. But those rules changed subsequently. And so now, there are, at the moment, there are no standards by which the director general could declare a, a, pan, so a pandemic, and once, or he can declare the potential for a pandemic, and that would trigger all his new authorities under the, the proposed international health regulations. There's another problem because we were given a draft of, of these new international health regulations last February, and that yet they've been negotiated continuously over the last year, and we have no idea what's in them now. And the WHO will not share them, even though they they basically, we thought, were required to. So before an amendment is put yeah. before the the Health Assembly for a vote, they're supposed to have a four, four months to review. WHO mm-hmm. said we can't do that. So we're, no, we're not finished. We don't have time. And so they're now planning to give nations just a one-month review and say, well, you you saw them all when a year ago. You saw what we had. You know, that's good enough. That's a big now, problem because it could be a surprise. Yeah, that, that, that sounds to me like the house is on fire at this level. Just what you just said would would cause to me any lawyer and anyone who knows history to do backflips trying to raise the alarm about how dangerous and potentially threatening. And that's if they never read the amendments or the proposals which are available at doortofreedom.org, correct? We can see. Correct. Yes. Right. And it's also a frightening indictment of either how dumbed down, apathetic, terrified, or worthless with no self-esteem too many Americans are paralyzed without a clue that this is this alarming and only a significant number of 
us caring and doing something about it can possibly prevent the fulfillment or the expression of these very, very bad potentialities. Have I over-dramatized the no, story? No, no, th this is really, I mean, it's it's so, you, you were correct in the beginning. I never thought of it that way. We are in a Bond novel. This is so big and, and so inconceivable that nobody would believe it, you know, which is why I try to, you know, toot my yeah. horn a little bit saying, I'm not an alarmist. I'm, I'm simply reporting to you what is so extraordinary it could only go forward if nobody knows about it. And it's very hard to find these documents on the WHO website, which is why Door to Freedom has the documents. We have very short, you know, two minute reads so that you can get the gist of the documents in just two minutes. We have longer articles about them. We have videos. We have all sorts of things. We have uh, about 42 minute reads about every aspect of the Great Reset, which is also sort of part of this. And mm. um, we, we've we done our best to, to make it as easy as possible for people to understand what's going on. We have um, a newsletter. Um, you can sign up. Everything is free. We don't ask you for a dime. If you if you want to donate, good, but you don't have to pay for anything. Nothing mm -hmm. on my my Substack costs any money. Um, we're we're just trying to alert people of what is coming down the pike. Yep. So and no and no one no one no one should expect Dr. Merle Nass or Bruce the Taurus or TNT Radio to to prevent or solve anything. This is a call to action to everyone watching or hearing or thinking about these things uh, to state to state the obvious from my point of view. There were two documents you started to say. Yeah, thank you. So there's two documents that are supposed to be voted on. There's a pandemic treaty and there are amendments to the international health regulations. And the WHO has made it as complicated and crazy as possible so that nobody will understand it unless you spend all your time on it like me. All right, so I'm just going to ignore the niceties, ignore the details. The pandemic treaty will go into effect quickly, a month after 40 countries sign up. And it, it doesn't require a declaration. It's just going to be in effect. It tells nations that they must uh, go out and find potential pandemic pathogens and then share them with the WHO. Um, it tells them they must surveil your social media presence, and if you're spreading misinformation, they are nations are required to censor you. Um, it says the tell you what drugs or vaccines are going to be expensive and restrict them during a pandemic. So you don't expect to get hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin the next time, um, and much more. So it, it gives the WHO the ability to issue quarantines, vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, uh, closed borders, et cetera. And to dictate um, those and require those of its member countries, and the United States has positioned itself, and maybe there's some documentation, maybe there's presidential executive orders that bind the United States to uh, do what we're told by the World Health Organization. Yes. The, the plan was to get this whole thing passed and ratified and so that the next president, if another president comes in uh, next year, would not be able to 
untired. So these mm. structures were put in very carefully. And so the original plan that the U.S. proposed was nations would only have six months in order in which to say they didn't want to be part of of the uh, amendments. And six months from May would be November of this year before the next president comes in. Okay, they were not able to push that through. They then they wanted eight months. They wanted nine months. They got ten months. So the next president will have two months in which he can pull us out of these amendments if they pass. They probably will. They require a 50% vote, and the United States is very good at bribing and cajoling the nations to get them to vote what the way they want, especially if they only need 50%. The pandemic treaty requires a two-thirds vote that that they may or may not be able to get that. If they get the two-thirds vote, once 40 nations sign and ratify, and, and the U.S. government has already said it's not putting it through the Senate, it's just going to be signed by the State Department. Once you are in, it's going to take you three years to get out of the treaty. So you might think, oh, well, we can get out of the amendments with the next president. The next president's going to take three years to get out of the treaty. So no, we have, we have about, gonna, we've got, finish your thoughts, sorry. Four months. We've got four months for the world to know what is in these documents and say, absolutely not. We're not doing it. And we're putting your feet to the fire. If you, the delegates, if you, the members of Congress, the members of your parliaments, if you go along with this, you are giving away the health sovereignty and other sovereignty, freedom of speech of your yeah. citizens to the WHO, to a totalitarian, unaccountable, unelected dictatorship, basically. Yep. Um, if you do that, that is essentially a treasonous act, and you may well have to pay the consequences later. That is what we need to make clear to our leaders, and we've got four months to do it. Meryl, we've got about a minute or two left. What would you repeat? What would you emphasize? What would you tell people about uh, more resources on Door to Freedom, perhaps? What would you What would you share? Um, we are we are working with country with activists around the world and politicians around the world. Um, contact us. You know there you can contact us through Door to Freedom. You can comment on my Substack MerrillNass.substack.com. We need you to get in this fight. Give us your resources, your connections. We are expanding out. We're very serious about winning this battle because it is mm. the battle of our lifetimes. Um, all my, I, I am lucky that I have 1,235 paying Substack uh, readers and the $100,000 approximately that they have donated over the past year has paid for most of the Door to Freedom expenses. Um, nice. We're expanding. We've got some uh, other, we're taking donations now. We've become a 501c3. So if you nice. want to help us do this, we've we've just hired another uh, strategist who who is very experienced in political campaigns. And Door to Freedom.org. Um, just getting that done. Yes. Dr. Merrill Nass, I I thank you so very, very much. And it's, it is a fight worthy of our time. And we've got, uh, you know, to raise the alarm every way, every way possible in our, in our dwindling moments. I just sincerely thank you. And I'll be continuing to follow you and begging you to return here to today's news talk. 
TNT.